This is an excerpt from a description of the adoption of the 13th Amendment in 1865 that appeared in the New York Daily Tribune, written by its editor, Horace Greeley. Greeley said, Washington, Tuesday, January 21, 1865, the hour has come. The proposed amendment to the Constitution, immediately abolishing and forever prohibiting slavery, comes up for final decision. An anxious throng of witnesses pours into the galleries. There is an air of confidence rising almost to exultation on the Union side, while a sullen gloom settles over the pro-slavery benches. Archibald McAllister, Democrat of the 18th Pennsylvania District, reads a beautiful paper in which he justifies his change of vote and casts his ballot against the cornerstone of the rebellion. Alexander H. Coffrath, Democrat of Pennsylvania's 16th district, follows in an unanswerable and manly argument to show the power to amend and the policy to amend. Applause on the Republican side greeted these new accessions to freedom. 1245, William H. Miller of the Pennsylvania 14th District, who was beaten at the last election by George F. Miller Union, espouses pro-slavery democracy and insists on keeping his party's foot on the Negroes. The galleries are getting crowded, the floor of the house filling up. Anson Herrick, Democrat, 9th District of New York, next gives frank and statesmanlike reasons why he has changed his views and shall change his vote. In the midst of the speaking and that buzzing which always characterizes a critical vote upon a great question, it is whispered that three rebel peace commissioners, Stevens, Hunter, and Campbell, are on their way here, that they were at City Point last night. A few believe but most people say gold gamblers news. 1.30 p.m. The crowd increases. Senators, heads of bureaus, prominent civilians, and distinguished strangers fill the spaces outside of the circle. The interest becomes intense. The disruption of the Democratic Party now going on is watched with satisfaction and joy upon the Republican side of the House. Anxiety and gloom cover the obstinate bodyguard of slavery whose contracting lines break with the breaking up of their party. James S. Brown, Democrat of Wisconsin, spitefully indicates his intention to vote against freedom. Aaron Harding of Kentucky, a border state unionist, bless the mark, makes a melancholy effort to poke fun at young Democratic converts and rams the struggling Negro back under the protection of the sacred constitution. Martin Kalbfleisch, Democrat of Brooklyn, reads a long pro-slavery composition which excites little attention and no interest. 3 p.m. The hour of voting has arrived and the fact is announced by the speaker. Mr. Kalbfleisch is only at the 22nd page of his composition and begs to be endured through six pages more. This request is granted with much reluctance. The galleries are wonderfully crowded and women are invading the reporters' seats. The Supreme Court and the Senate appear to have been transferred bodily to the floor of the House. 
3.20 p.m. A motion to lay the motion to reconsider on the table assumes the character of a test vote. The most earnest attention is given to the calling of the roll. Division lists appear on all sides, and members, reporters, and spectators devote themselves to keeping tally. Of course, the attempt to table the amendment will fail, but there are not votes enough to pass the bill. Absentees drop in, one aye, one no. The roll is called over by the reading clerk, but the count has already been declared in whispers throughout the house. 57 ayes, 111 noes. It is not tabled. 3.30 p.m. Question is taken now on the motion to reconsider the vote of last session by which the proposed amendment was lost for want of two-thirds. The House vote to reconsider, ayes 112, nays 57. Now commence efforts to stave off the final vote. Robert Mallory, Democrat of Kentucky, with a menace as to what course he should decide to pursue, appeals to Mr. Ashley to let the vote go over till tomorrow. Other Democrats clamor for this delay. Mr. Ashley refuses and stands firm, this being the accepted time and the day of salvation. The final vote begins. Down the roll we go to James E. English, Democrat of Connecticut, who votes aye. A burst of applause greets this unexpected result, and the interest becomes thrilling. The speaker's hammer falls heavily and restores silence. Clerk, John Ganson, aye. Applause again, repressed again by the speaker. Angry calls among the Democrats and great irritation of feeling. Clerk, Wells A. Hutchins, aye. A stir of astonishment in the reporter's gallery. William Radford, aye. A movement of satisfaction all over the house. John B. Steele, aye. Wonder and pleasure are manifested. Dwight Townsend, no. Ah, if Harry Stebbins had been well enough to stay, that vote had not been given, said a senator. Clerk, Schuyler Colfax, aye. The voting is done. Swift pencils run up the division lists. 119 to 56, hurrah! Seven more than two thirds. The clerk whispers the result to the speaker. The speaker announces to the house what the audience quickly interpreted to be the mighty fact that the 38th American Congress had abolished American slavery. The tumult of joy that broke out was vast, thundering, and uncontrollable. Representatives and auditors on the floor, soldiers and spectators in the gallery, senators and Supreme Court judges, women and pages gave way to the excitement of the most august and important event in American legislation and American history since the Declaration of Independence. God bless the 38th Congress. The work done in securing the passage of this bill has been immense. It has taken the labor of an entire month, night and day, to secure the majority which today so delighted the friends of freedom and of humanity, and so astounded the allies of slavery. To two Republicans in particular does the nation owe a debt of gratitude. To James M. Ashley of Toledo, Ohio, and Augustus Frank of Warsaw, New York. They held the laboring oars. The Democrats 
were sure of defeating the measure by a large majority up to this noon. Indeed, they felt sure of it up to the final voting. The Republicans were not sure of success till last night. Three batteries of regular artillery have just saluted the grand result with a hundred guns in the heart of the city.